0: You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Andrew Campfy, creator of Influence Weekly. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks, James. Thank thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited we get to do this. One, because you've been a longtime friend and trusted uh, resource of mine you have single-handedly probably referred me to more smart, incredible people that just to connect with or have on this podcast. Uh, So this is long overdue. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your journey.
1: Oh, wow. Well, the reason I I refer so many people is because I'm so uh, scared that like my story doesn't really isn't really exciting and really isn't really awesome like I'm like oh these other people are way <laughs> more interesting than I am. I think so you this is to prove really you wrong
0: s- today. We'll see.
1: This is a very scary situation. Uh-huh. Nice. Well,
0: I want to start off just by kind of traveling back in time and and you know, let's hear how you got your first beginnings in media and entertainment.
1: Um I mean, how far do you want to go back Cause, like two and a half years ago I started the newsletter Influence Weekly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I started that literally because I was working in influencer marketing and wanted to find data informed, data driven uh information about the influencer marketing industry, which two and a half years ago was very hard to find. Sure. Oddly, still is hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> two and a half years has not changed it and I haven't really like plug the holes and or i don't know the opposite of plug those i haven't made the leaks i haven't created the leaks uh-huh. um i feel so the same way like, that was
0: that was one of the big reasons i started this podcast is so much of the oral history mm-hmm. about this space is just not captured anywhere right i wanted to tell the right. stories of the entrepreneurs and innovators in digital media technology gaming music influencer mm-hmm. marketing right like kind of covering all these areas that are, are kind of just like the inside baseball the things that people don't know about about these uh these different industries
1: that's so funny that you say inside baseball because we the company i used to work at um the queue one of the, the the executive producer he had that term inside baseball and he always used it in a derogatory term in a derogatory way like oh this is what you're tr- writing here is inside baseball no one's gonna get it mm. i'm like yeah you're right like now i'm like fully inside baseball like i'm like no that's where i want to live like
0: right You just found found the definition of a niche audience and there's value there, right? It's like some people love the inside baseball. I love talking shop with people who've been in the space for 10, 15 years. And you're like,
2: yeah,
0: this person used to work with that person. And then they had this company that didn't get off the ground. And this company like changed its name and pivoted its strategy because of these things. I
1: love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like you find so much, I find so much information and, and this is, uh, mirrored in Influence Weekly is like I find so much information in anecdotes more than like aggregated data. So um, you know, week to week in Influence Weekly it is very um uh up and down, you know, like some sometimes it's just a bunch of interviews, sometimes it's these like epic reports surveys, and I I like read them, I read like a hundred articles a week and I I give you like the top ten but not even the top 10, actually the best 10 and the most insightful 10, which the term most insightful is very specific for me Mm. where I act actively don't share with you the articles that are shared across like LinkedIn and Twitter. Like you already got those, you've read those, you read that headline. I actively work against that. So that (laughs) the niche you brought up the niche audience, it's like my audience is super niche. They're like, Oh yeah. Like, this independent resource—it's li- like this, literally, this guy that's figuring out what's interesting and what's not, and then procuring it for me. So, yeah. I did that two and a half years ago because I was work—I was working in the industry,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this is going to sound bad, but like I wanted to know: Are what is what we're doing day to day correct? I-, I had these very existential questions of like, is this the right? business practice, is this the right tactic? Is this the right strategy? We were we were making ads, influencer marketing ads on musically actually, before TikTok existed.
2: Yeah.
1: Or not before TikTok, but along with TikTok. Sure. And um and I was just and on YouTube as well and and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But I was just like, what benchmarks are there? And what 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 is this world that I'm suddenly in after I had been like in la working with and for creators i like produced vine uh shows back years ago how did you get into that oh my best my best friend in the world like knew i was in la and i i had moved to la after working on cruise ships and i was Uh like i just want to work in film and tv and he's like well i have this project that i want to do on vine where we're going to make these like not fake they're real shows but they're all the idea by the way this idea is batshit crazy but also like you're going to say, oh, my God, this sounds wonderful. And I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, the idea was wonderful. The execution was not. Okay. We, The idea was there would be separate shows on Vine. You would sign up to a channel. You would watch this show. But every single show was fit underneath the umbrella of a company that was uh, making all of these shows. And the company was from the future. Mm-hmm. And in, like, 50 years in the future, the creators became the like the biggest celebrities in the world. This is very. By the way, we were correct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this sounds like uh, you're predicting the future a little bit.
1: We did. We actually accurately predicted the future, but we made it in the disguise of this mega company, like a like um like a Walmart or like um or Amazon or even like the the weird company in um Pixar's uh um Wally.
2: Oh uh-huh. wow!
1: Like that kind of company goes back to the the past, creates these fake creators to then like become the best creators in the world later. Like, but you could tell they're like corporated corporations make them.
0: Uh huh. This is sounding a lot like me. I've been uh, nerding out recently over season two of The Boys on Amazon. Oh it yeah, sounds a lot like Vought. I don't know if you've watched the show, but uh, the whole idea of like the superheroes manufactured by a corporation to be these superstars oh, wow. and the CD underbelly. Anyway, uh, that's a little bit about what I'm watching recently. But <laughs> I, I want to kind of untangle some of these threads because you've given us a bit of a reverse chronology of of yeah. your uh, your background. But things kind of started earlier than that, right? You went to college. One of the things that stood out to me from your your bio is that. You launched the Florida Film Fiasco, which is this 24-hour short form like film contest, a film festival, right, where every team has a day, uh, probably like from midnight to midnight to create a film, and then you have to present it. So what inspired you to launch this film festival? What got you into that creative process?
1: Have, we, have you and I ever talked about this before?
0: Never, ever. So I'm so excited to hear the background.
1: <laughs> okay. Like, I can tell you the entire story of how that came about, but, like, I want to just point out, I want to point out something that, like, literally made my entire career because um, in Gainesville, Florida, at our college, I put this event together. It wasn't just me. It was a partner of mine, Priscilla, who, who was amazing, and I can tell you the story of her, but, like, we put this event together completely just a total, like, we just wanted it to exist. And for two weeks, like we had these applications for teams and like, I was part of some, not, I wasn't part of the film crew, but I was like part of film, like clubs and stuff. I knew them. We had zero uh, submissions for teams until literally the day of submissions. There was this
0: like film school. (laughs) (laughs) I went to USC for film production and the exact same thing happened, right? Every time you have a film festival, it's like, nobody signs up. And then it's the last day and they're all procrastinators it's right yeah. the right right at the deadline
1: but it it ended up being like literally we had this black basket like a milk crate mm. that were like put your application in here at this store that i had like it's a this is a very hippie kind of like gainesvillian thing everyone will know it like there is a um a, not a free store but a co-op store of like records and albums <laughs> that i used to like volunteer at and i was like just in the front of this and you know everyone has to find this place but everyone knew it it was on the main strip but again i was like god damn mate did i make this too hard for people and then literally the entire basket was filled the day that like day and then i was there to pick it up and people were like some somebody like walked in and was like am i too late i was like oh okay oh my god
0: <laughs> people no, care. No. they want to be part of this that's awesome
1: yeah and then we held the event and what it was was Yeah, you got, okay, we also, if you ever did a 24-hour film, like, festival thing where you make the film in 24 hours, Mm -hmm. it got really popular, the 48-hour film one. We did something no one else would do. We did something literally I've never seen anywhere else, and I do not wish this upon anyone else. No one else could have done this. What we did is, I was in the theater program, and knew all like a bunch of actors and it was like one of the things that when you're in college and an actor, you're just like, do as many things as possible. And so I knew like all these actors just like didn't have anything to like they just would work on anything. And I was like, okay. So why it's called the fiasco, it was very um very specific <laughs> not specific. We didn't realize how much of a fiasco it would be. But what we did is at eight PM on Friday night, every team and we assigned two random actors. We actually got two people to apply to be like, I'll be in a 24-hour film. And two of them were assigned to one team. Mm-hmm. And so in a room, we had, I think, tw- I think it was like 20 teams the first year. And so think, okay, there's, oh no, there was definitely 25 uh, teams okay because it was 50 it was 50 actors yep and 25 teams all in one room that could fit about 75 people
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you paired the filmmakers up with talent right actors who yeah in the in the program that's awesome
1: but at 8 p.m everyone like opened their envelope and had to like figure out like we didn't realize this until it happened i was like oh this is actually a fiasco because people are like who are you what's your name i need to find you i need to go to my team i need to get you and we ran out the week before like the day before the event we only had 49 people sign up as actors and so my priscilla my partner on this we were like sitting there thinking like where are we gonna get just one more person she had already signed up we had decided like i couldn't do it because i was gonna i was gonna i was filming documentaries and i was like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go visit every single team during the 24 hours and make a documentary and we're like where are we gonna get another person and she literally goes wait give me five minutes and she runs out of her her apart uh, not her apartment where she lived and she's like like five minutes later she comes back and she's like i got a goat a goat a goat I was like, what?
0: So She's that like, my was neighbor. La- That's awesome. So her neighbor's goat was the 50th uh, talent <laughs> after, the yeah.
1: festival.
0: That's amazing. And so,
1: so, I mean, this really turned into a real fiasco because, like, one team opens it, and, like, they're like, uh, I need to find a person named Goat. And and I'm like, no, th- there's the goat. And, like, point. And they're like, we get a goat for 24 hours? I was like, yes. That's
0: they're amazing. like, we have to put a
1: goat in a film? Like, wait, what? <laughs> so so good like yeah like during the 24 hours when I finally met that team and Uh I was like filming them they're like they're like yeah we have all of these positions like we knew beforehand we're like here's we knew who was the writer who was the director we knew who like the actors were until like the other ones but we Uh didn't realize we needed a goat poop picker-upper and like one of the teammates literally had to like keep scooping up goat poop
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's that's got to go down in the film festival history books that's right very- well,
1: and and then the, the entire event ends up becoming a really interesting untalked about part of of like uh the world now because from that event i ended up meeting a bunch of people and and from that event a bunch of people ended up becoming youtubers
0: hmm. wow that's amazing
1: which like then now you think about like oh how do you, like this was twenty years ago <clears throat> like making a film or a, a short film in twenty four hours was unheard of was like a fun little practice but now it is literally YouTube
0: it's like, yeah that's what people do for a career day in and day out wow. every
1: single day <laughs> uh huh and so of course the people that were predisposed to like oh I'll do this thing in twenty four hours yeah I have a camera yeah I have I have a laptop to s- edit or not a laptop then we had like imax
0: wow yeah no totally makes sense so how did you go from running this uh 24-hour film festival at your college to working on cruise ships
1: (laughs) you really did go down my entire
0: yeah man i want to hear it let's do it
1: um so after call so i ran the film festival for three years in i met every one of my best friends and still to this day, my best friend is an entertainment lawyer who was there. Like, uh, he <laughs> he and I ended up making, like, short films together. Um, and then after college, I literally had no idea what to do, except I knew I wanted – I had gotten a theater degree, and I knew I wanted to have a camera on my shoulder as a profession. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be paid to film – I had done a bunch of documentaries – you know, bad document, like, like my own little short films, not realizing that one of the other people in my college literally while we were there became one of the top YouTubers ever. Wow. Who's that? Uh, I don't want to say his name. Okay. No worries. He's, he's been, he's been blacklisted. Ah. So so if you if somebody has a blacklist and goes down all of the names and figures out who's from Florida, you'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You can do the math yourself. Um, but everyone who worked with him that ended up going to LA, working in YouTube, working at maker studios, and everyone who worked around him is a wonderful person. They are like wonderful people to know and and, and cherish and spend time with and make great creative productions he is a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) fair enough all right um and so i had that like on the back of my head is like okay as long as i get a job somewhere doing film some in some capacity um i can always go to la Mm. and work there uh so i applied to just a bunch of jobs around the world, like I ended up applying to a cruise ship job, but then like two weeks later i drove i just i just left Florida I was like, I need to get out of Florida and I drove to Chicago. I had some friends there I'd stayed with on the way to Chicago. I did the phone call for Royal Caribbean for a, a job on a ship, and basically at the end of the call. I like was like, oh yeah, I don't think I have enough experience. Like I don't have enough professional experience to do this film thing on, on ships. Uh, And they're like, oh, but you have a degree in theater. We'll get you on in the, in the theater. I was Hmm. like, okay, maybe. It sounds like I didn't get the job. Like I told Yeah. And I went to Chicago and I ended up in Chicago on my friend's couch for a month, got a part-time job as a Santa uh yeah it was that time <laughs> wait what okay i i yes i i don't know if anyone's ever read um david sadaris's my uh, santa land diaries no but the first paragraph or first page is literally my life like i literally opened like a classified ad uh saw that they were hiring santas circled it mentioned to my friend oh th- wouldn't this be funny if i become a santa
0: uh-huh
1: I called the number did i went to the uh the in the job interview they're like what do you want to do i'm like i don't think i can be santa but i'll be a photographer a santa photographer Uh uh-huh and got the job and then became And they're like well you should also be a santa and i was like (laughs) but like with me at that meeting like literally sitting next to me at that meeting was a man a very old man with a real white beard who was in a, a electric scooter wheelchair Uh and on the front of his wheelchair was literally the head of a like a stuffed animal head of rudolph and i was like i'm not santa that guy is santa
0: (laughs) yeah that's the real santa
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that is like legitimate like Uh miracle on 34th street real santa there he just came from the north pole he's riding rudolph for God's sakes there you go and so um but they hired me because they're like oh yeah you can speak well like they asked like other people there like, Oh, what did you do before this? And they're like, I babysat my cousin. I was like, Oh, I think I'm like in the top 10% of the hires here.
0: So you become a Santa in Chicago. And then when did you get the call from Royal Caribbean that it's time to pack your bags?
1: Four months later, it was legitimately like December 15th. And they're like, Hey, we have a job for you. It's next week just you have to get here first but you'll get a job you have a job waiting for you and I was like could you just wait 10 days I have this job right now that ends on December 25th (laughs) I can't tell you why (laughs) I have to do some deliveries I have (laughs) (laughs) no um but I, I don't know why like I was just so like focused on like I have a pain like i was getting a check every week i was like so happy i was living in a really shitty apartment in chicago but it didn't matter i was like chicago is amazing and still to this day those four months like my god chicago's an amazing i got out exactly at the right time i got out january in chicago which is like from january to march is just hell
0: yeah you don't want to be there in the winter
1: i got to see my first snow i got Uh to be santa i was like i was also paid I, I was paid minimum wage, so I actually wrote a screenplay called Minimum Wage Santa, predating Bad Santa, by the way.
0: <laughs> ah, wow. Okay.
1: I was not pissed that they made Bad Santa. I love Bad Santa, but I sure. was like, oh, I, I have this story, Minimum yep. Wage Santa. Oh, and I even published an ebook about it. Hmm. I blogged about it at the time. Cool. Um,
0: so you get the call, and Royal Caribbean says, you need to come back to Florida, or where, were you, where was yeah. the we were shipping out?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't do it. I, oh, I was wow. like, I have a job until December 25th. I'm going to yeah. keep that job. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we'll, and I was like, can you just wait 10 days? And they're like, no, uh-huh. you, you have to agree to this and and do it. Like it's your spot. Yeah. And I, I had no idea. I was like, okay, I guess I lost this job then. Like mm. hung up the phone. And no plan
0: job. what you were going to do 10 days <laughs> after, after Christmas. It's all over. Okay.
1: I was just going to get another minimum wage job. I was like, I have an apartment. I have these girls' numbers, <laughs> like, I'm uh-huh. like living yeah, the yeah. life. Um, and so after, I think it was like January 5th or something, I still hadn't had another job. It was, it was you know, it's the Christmas holidays, like yeah. nobody's getting a job then. And Royal Caribbean calls me again, and they're like, oh, uh, that we have a job for you. And I was like, okay, when is it? They're like, next Thursday. <laughs> I was like, Oh really? <laughs> like I have to be in Florida. Like I had to be in Miami and next Thursday. And I was like, fuck, I have an apartment. I have to get rid of my, I have a car. Like, so yeah, I literally like got rid of my apartment as quickly as possible.
2: Wow. Got into
1: my car, drove back to Florida, stopped off at my parents' up, uh, not apartment house. My dad drove me the rest of the way down to Miami. Hmm. I get on the ship and Like, I still, I thought it was all a scam. I was like, this can't be real. Like, you can't just, like, get a call. I'm sitting in Chicago in January, and I'm, like, now in Florida on a cruise port. (laughs) Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: I get on the ship. I start working. Like, the first day was the longest day of my life of work. And then the next day, we ported in Puerto Rico, and it was, like, the very first port I've ever been on. I've never been on a cruise ship before that. Mm. And the first, and I'm like walking off the pier and the very first thing I see is a Chicago burger. Hmm. It was a restaurant called Chicago Burger. I was like, I was just there.
0: Yeah, that's an <laughs> odd, okay, coincidence.
1: Such a weird thing. Yeah, and then I ended up working on cruise ships for like five years. I took a break, you know, every six months or something, you take a break. I ended up living in Mongolia for four months.
0: Wow, okay. So what were yeah. you doing in Mongolia?
1: That's actually where I got film and TV experience. So what happened is, I was working in the theater on ships and they wouldn't promote me because they're like, Oh, you don't have the same thing on the call is like you don't have film and TV experience. You've made videos, but you don't have professional mm. experience. I'm like, Yeah, that's what I came to you for. <laughs> and so my buddy and my buddy had been in uh Mongolia for two and a half years in Peace Corps. He got a job in a TV network and literally like not just remembered me, but like actively petitioned for me. They're like, It's a startup uh TV network in Mongolia called BTV Okay. uh, and he convinced them that I was a film director a a TV director and could direct a TV show and I was like yeah I could think about that
0: (laughs) this is the wildest story so we're back uh and I'm excited to hear about your time in Mongolia and in really digging in and getting some film and TV experience so how on earth did you end up there
1: um so my friend had been working two and a half years in the Peace Corps, decided to stay in Mongolia. He, I will I will jump ahead a little bit because I didn't know what I'm about to tell you. I didn't know. He originally got a job as an English teacher for the English news hosts of a new English language news program. Um, and then within two weeks, he convinced them to give him the host position of an English language news program in Mongolia, which would be Mongolia's first English news program. Okay. And the person that he chose, and because all of the staff like didn't know English very well, like Mongolia at that time, this was, oh my God, this is 10 years, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, Mongolia still wasn't like there, like there were Peace Corps people teaching English. That's that they didn't have like great, great English schools. It's still a mining colony, basically, for Russia. Um, Russia destroyed the culture there, kind of stuff. Um, And also, Kublai Khan didn't do much help when he moved the capital of the Mongolian nation to what now is. Beijing, like mm-hmm. he he didn't really help anything, and sure. th- there's this weird, this there's a weird. I don't know. I, I didn't really mean to give you a history lesson, but there's this weird love of Genghis Khan, not Genghis Khan, the K H is Han, uh, but a hate of Kublai Khan because he moved the capital away from Mongolia. it's hmm. so like Genghis Khan made a weird history story. Yeah, interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, so. So they convinc- so basically like he's like hey let me do a this is literally how it happened. He's like hey let me do a Skype call with you, talk about what they need. And I was like, "All right. I'm on the Skype call with him and in the background like the director of the television network, she uh she passes by and my friend's like, "Oh, here's Andrew. Uh do you want to talk to him?" And she pops in. And she's like, "Hi, Andrew. Uh I hear you're coming to Mongolia." And I was like, "Okay."
0: This was news to you.
1: Yeah, and like that was the first call I had with my friend about like what do they need, what do they want me to do. They're like, yeah, I'm making the show. I need a director, but like it wasn't actually the point wasn't me to direct his show. It was just like to get me there, and they would pay for the flight. So I was like, well, as long as they're gonna pay for the flight. Oh, and then they also were paying for an apartment for him, anyways like for three months. So they're like, so basically they'll pay for my flight. I got an apartment there with him. It's a two bedroom apartment. They don't need to pay extra. They're just paying for his apartment, but it's like two bedroom. Sure. And we're going to get a salary. And I was like, sounds great. Sign me up. So your international
0: Um, adventures continue. Very good.
1: Well, the red flag started happening and like they paid for half the flight there. I had to pay like 700 bucks for the flight there. When I, they paid for the apartment um within two weeks we got fired uh
0: wow why did you get fired
1: <laughs> because we submitted our uh that we submitted our like not salary but the hours we spent and then said okay you owe us this amount of money for this amount of work and the accountant got got it like we we went into the accountant's office gave him this thing and he looks at it he looks at us looks at it Gets up out of his chair and walks into the director's office and we're like, this can't be good. <laughs> and the director says, We'll pay this, but that's it. And yeah. we're like, wait, what do you mean that's it? We like came here for a job. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> we had already started producing his show. Um, literally it was like a 15-minute show that took like half the day to write and then, you know, a half a day to edit. Um, and then it was a 15-minute show that went on. And i made a bet with him at very early on i was like he knew mongolia way more way better than i did so obviously i I took a bad bet but we bet like a dollar that like within two within the time that we're there a cab driver is going to recognize him i was like that's there's no way this is a large country there's three million people here two million people in this city like who watches this thing no one's gonna recognize you and literally like 10 days later a taxi driver was like oh you're the host of the news show what like i was in i was in the taxi. i was like what are you talking about i lost that damn bet
0: well there you go so that ended up being a bit of a bust. so you go back to cruises or is that when you moved to la Where we go no, I ended
1: up I ended up spending four months in Mongolia. I spent two weeks with a the job. They ended up never paying us. We went into litigation with them. We got the police involved' because we're like, you owe us, and also we just wanted a job like <laughs> and we yeah. didn't get fired. we didn't get fired because it was a bad job. like the show was running, like the show was on daily, and it was like running, and it was fine. um and I, at first I was like, I don't think we're too expensive because we would negotiate. It was a really weird situation. But we, but literally like within three days, my friend got a job as a editor in chief of a nightlife magazine hmm. in Mongolia. I started uh, teaching English because I went to a, listen, this is Mongolia at that time. I went to a party that my friend was hosting and I sat next to a girl who was like, we were just chatting and she's like, you speak English. I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, my mother runs a private school and needs an English teacher. Can you do it? I was like, sure. <laughs> there you go, st- networking. I never, t- I never taught English in my life and I never will again. Huh. It was awful experience. Um, but like, I made music videos for local bands because I was like, well, I'm here to film stuff. I know this is now going to be on like, this is recorded. This has never been recorded ever before what I'm about <laughs> to say and I'm, I feel really bad, but basically, I, I excelled at the, like, job of directing a TV show, like, everything there, I knew how to run, and, like, it was the very first time I'd ever done it, but I also did it for two weeks, <laughs> and so, when I went back onto the ship, so, I ended up, like, four months later, I was, like, I got to get out of Mongolia. This is not working out very well. I don't want to teach English. I don't want to do any of this stuff. Um, I want to go back on ships and work and, and find my way into film and television and on the ship i went back for six months basically i had this like renewed focus of like i never want to go back to mongolia (laughs) that was like a like i got spent i got i got um sent to the gulag like i got sent to siberia i was close to siberia like i met siberians like i literally tried to like get the phone number of the siberian girl i was like i i was like just south of siberia
0: (laughs) So that was so, your new North Star was get as far away from Mongolia yeah. <laughs> and return to the, the
1: life at sea. So I was like, yeah, now I'm like eating great meals. I'm on a cruise ship, like, uh, like six, literally six days after I wanted to go back on ships. So They're like, OK, we got to we got a spot for you. Get to Mexico. And I was like, all right, I'll get there. <laughs> There's nothing stopping me now. And yeah, and then for six months I did my day job. And then every literally every single night that I had a chance. I went and trained to be a broadcast technician, um, seven days a week. I I made enemies as well because the broadcast, like the manager there never promoted zero, he never promoted anyone in his entire career. And I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I did not prove him wrong. It was his (laughs) replacement. It was the person who came in after he spent four months on the ship. I trained every single day. And then literally he left and the guy who replaced him was this super nice Canadian guy, just an amazing, wonderful person who in their handover from like positions, he wrote this note about me and like was like, oh, there's this guy who's training to be a broadcast technician. And so literally within like days of him, that guy leaving, the other guy's like, hey, come in and do this show, we need need you. And I was like, you need me. And it was just his way to like, get me into the room and like, see if I could do it. And I did it. Um, I switched like a show. And within two months, I got a call from the main office is like, hey, we want to do an interview with you to get you to this next job. Do you have any professional experience? Like beyond just training on the ship? And I was like, yes.
0: Yes, I do. I
1: I directed a show
0: in Mongolia. Yeah.
1: Uh, which is not a lie in any way. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I told the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's all they got from me. <laughs> and then yeah, for like 3 years I worked as a broadcast tech and was literally like the very first because it took so much time and effort and like work to get there and I wasn't proving that I could do it, I proved that I did do it like it sure. was a different circumstance. Yeah. Um so like yeah, like they loved the work I did. I like. I ended up shooting a documentary on board with a friend of mine, Val- Valerie Perry. Me and her, I produced it. She directed it, a documentary on, on them installing Saturday Night Fever on the ship.
2: Hmm.
1: Never in the history of Royal Caribbean had crew members produced a documentary like this. Like crew members usually just do the daily stuff that you need to do. Sure. We, in our free time, and our boss was like, totally against it he was like don't do it you're wasting your time and i was from the theater so i knew every single person in the theater and they specifically gave us and me permission to be in places that no broadcast crew had ever been given permission to film they we got to do uh interviews with every single installing per, like person from the shore side who mm. were super excited that they were being interviewed about the work they were doing right then and there. And Saturday Night Fever was a big deal. It's a big Broadway show being put on a, sh- a ship. Sure. And and then they started talking about it in the office and we got scared. We were like, oh, oh, they're gonna tell our bosses in the office and we're gonna get shut down. But they didn't, they were just like, oh, we just like doing this, this is fun. Mm. So what happens, we then, we, sent the, we we produced this documentary and sent it to the office thinking like, well, let's show them what we can do. And maybe like the next time they'll be able to like use it. And they're like, we love this. It's going on every single ship right now. Like they just sent it to every ship and, and hmm. it ran on the entire fleet of this documentary. I was like, oh wow. <laughs>
0: Amazing. It's still, on,
1: still online actually. I was just watching it on YouTube like a month ago.
0: Okay. So you produced this documentary behind the scenes of Saturday Night Fever. And then when did LA start calling your name?
1: Um, There were some problems on the ship and like the position that I was in uh, lost a lot of privileges. And I was like, all right, it's my time to leave. I spent five years on cruise ships, um, you know, accomplished everything I wanted to do, I think, uh, on ships. And uh, literally like our contracts were six months at a time and then we had two months off and we... Always left the ship without a contract. Mm. Like, not everybody le- like you had an implicit idea, like just check your email, you'll get a contract within the next week or two. So every single six months you leave, you you are fired. Essentially, <laughs> you're now no longer a Royal Caribbean employee. And so I just didn't sign up for another one. I was like, I literally got off the ship in Cape Canaveral. I spend one night in Orlando and then flew directly oh i flew to san diego and then drove up to la so i didn't fly directly to la
0: and what was in san diego at the time
1: oh my friend who had been so now by this time all of my friends who went out to la became a big youtube star and all of my friends worked with him and suddenly i get to san diego and i start asking like real questions like oh where should i go find work what should i do and they're like don't work with this guy he's an asshole um i was like oh okay well that goes there goes that plan (laughs) Uh, oops um and this is when you started
0: producing vine videos with some of your former college buddies
1: yeah i was like you know like surviving in la is hard like you got to pay rent right and so we started producing vine videos i started uh getting um You know, just random gigs. I ended up like, God, it was so depressing. You know, a year year into LA, thinking I'm I'm on top of the world because I like did this amazing stuff on Royal Caribbean in this, you know, fifty thousand person company. I did stuff that like historically had never been done before, and then come to LA where you're like, you're nothing, (laughs) just
0: (laughs) nothing. Yeah.
1: Nobody, uh, nobody, no, nobody goes on cruise ships in LA. We're too busy.
0: Uh huh.
1: So it was like really struggle. I ended up. I ended up even as like a minimum wage job at, um, uh, Universal Studios. Like, I was like, why am I here? Like, well, I got to pay rent, like met some fantastic people through there, you know, and and this is a common refrain about like, you know, 20 somethings will go work at Disney and they end up like, you know, on TV in a year or two, like they end up, you gotta, that's LA, right? Everybody's a waitress waiter, um, working it one way or another and I accidentally, my friend ended up sending me a job, not even a job posting, just an email for a job. Um, he's like, Hey, you have to join this startup. It's called fork you like, and he spelt it F O R Q space Y O U. Hmm. And I was like, I emailed him back, you know, within a half a day, I was like, I can't find anything on this fork you that this, if you, if, if, if it is what I think it is, which is like a foodie kind of, um, like show yeah like um i would love to do it i had already like by that time oh i i was on the food network at when i went when i was in la i applied to a cooking competition and i'm on i'm on a food network show competing for a food truck
0: wow okay i'm
1: i'm the gizzard wizard okay (laughs) you can watch it on amazon for like two dollars so there we go food truck face off and so like my friend sent this to me. this is why it made, makes sense for Q and, and he's like, it doesn't exist yet. they're just starting it up. my friend is hiring here's my friend's email she'll she'll interview you yeah and I go in and it's not he messed up he messed up the typing uh-huh it, the the company's name is Q. Q-Y-O-U. Mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with food it was <laughs> it was like MTV if MTV existed now, all YouTube videos. Yeah put together and and then like oh this is a weird side story like two two years after that i ended up creating a youtube channel called 4q because i was like this is such a good idea
0: yeah <laughs> okay so you ended so up I, at the queue.
1: yeah so i ended up at the queue and uh i <laughs> this is a weird story because i had worked on cruise ships as like a tv technician I ran an entire network like we did everything we programmed we switched shows like live shows Mm -hmm. um parades we did these epic parades where there was like a man on the ground with a camera live camera plus a bunch like seven robotic cameras like I had run tv in this like tiny little station made documentaries made tv shows made every every week edited filmed everything um And I come to the queue, which is a TV network that hadn't didn't exist. And they're like filming these segments and they're taking like, we're taking so long. Like it takes so fucking long to make television now. I was like, this is so slow. I had so much time to waste. And so I started helping them like organize their operations in Google sheets. And like, I got advice. Okay, I got this advice from a producer that I talked to in LA. He's like, if you ever, whenever you get a job, this is the only thing you have to do. You have to be the first one in and the last one out. And I was like, oh, you mean like, just like work hard and be there a long time. He's like, no, no, no. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to do a good job. You just have to be the first one in and the last one out. I was like, why? And he explained to me, it's like in LA and in entertainment, there's always going to be some group of people that are the early people. And there's going to be some group of people that are late people. Mm. You don't know where your next job is going to come from. It could be one of those two groups. So you have to be with both of those groups.
0: (laughs) That's actually kind of a good point. Hang out with both the early birds and the night owls. Not great for your uh, personal time or sleep schedule, but yeah.
1: Right. It doesn't matter because your job isn't to do the job. This is like just, such a weird LA it's thing such, it's your job very is not Hollywood to do the job. it's to get to next job exactly it's
0: the most Hollywood advice I've ever heard I love it okay
1: yeah so I did it like I didn't know better like everyone else whoever would get that advice would be like I know better I'll just do this other thing and then we uh-huh. will struggle but also I was just so bored I was like I'm here I'm the first one in and I'm literally the last one out I, I left after the CEO and the president left it's a small startup it's like 20 people in a room i sure. ended up knowing everyone the executive producer was the first one in but i was always there before him and the ceo and the president saw me at night so whenever they talked about me they were like someone would say oh he's here before me and someone's like oh he's here after me and yeah. i was like within two months i got a promotion and became like operations there uh-huh also like I- that was a weird time because I literally had nothing else to do but like make a career in TV and film. And I was like, oh, I'm working in TV. (laughs) You were loving it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had Kurt Marvis on the show, the one of the co-founders and the president. And he's just got fascinating stories from his time back in the days at MTV and then you know at Lionsgate. He's, He's full of amazing stories. So I'm sure it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, like literally it was just me and it was literally me and him for like two months at the end of the night and he would have like a whiskey not whiskey but like a drink and just start talking and i was like what else i'm i am just here waiting for him to leave <laughs> 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 i'm like i'll listen and yeah, he ended up being one of the most wonderful like story like he is He's terrific amazing yeah. oh yeah uh, it was sure. it was such a lucky chance and a lucky like and and but that's la right that's hollywood is like Robert Evans was found on at a poolside because he looked like some woman's dead husband like (laughs) this is Hollywood that's how it
0: works sometimes odd okay so you're in LA you're working for the queue for four years and at a certain point you know adventure calls again and you say I'm gonna pack my bags and I'm gonna move halfway across the world
1: (laughs) how did that happen um well okay this is a weird this is a weird story too it's like because I had worked on cruise ships, I had friends all over the world, like a third of all cruise ship workers are Filipino. And I had, also I had a wife <laughs> during this time, I got married, um, she was Japanese. Um, well, she's still Japanese, she's just no longer my wife. <laughs> and how did you two meet? What was the, you know? Well, we were what? on the cruise ship together. Okay, so yeah. And uh, while I was working at the queue, I like literally went to Japan for two weeks to get married. Um a year later, the queue is not doing so well. We lay off like 25% of the staff. Mm. My friends leave. Two weeks before that, that was like January twenty fifth or something. Oh yeah, no, I knew that. I know exactly. That was January twenty fifth. January fifteenth, I signed divorce papers. Mm. So I was like, oh, my life, literally everything I've ever done for the last five years of my life is now just doing badly time for a change yeah yeah so that was january and i got an email oh and i also built up like a twitter account of a hundred thousand followers around travel um it was partly because i had nothing else to do in la and wanted i had gotten advice like oh build up your social media profiles because i was on cruise ships i didn't know about social media at that point they're like build up your social media profiles show that you create good work and then you'll get a deal or a job or do something. In that in that time period, I ended up creating uh, getting a hundred thousand followers on Twitter around travel. I got an email asking me if I wanted to get a take a press trip to the Philippines. This was like March, I think. I I had to go in and tell my boss. I was like, I need three days off, and and he's like, for what? I'm like, to go to the Philippines.
0: <laughs> what? That's a quick turnaround.
1: Yeah, it is. It was a well. It was a five-day trip, and you know, two sure. days over Part the weekend. Part of it falls over
0: the weekend. yep,
1: Okay. But it's a press trip. I don't know if you know, like, press trips or influencer trips. Now they are yeah. super fast. You get pushed through everything, and mm-hmm. it, it was a whirlwind. But I was like, it was my first time in the Philippines, um, and I was just like absolutely loved it. And I did the math. I got back to LA. I did the math, and I found an Airbnb one-bedroom apartment, and a round trip ticket, a a round trip ticket to the Philippines, plus a one-bedroom apartment with Wi-Fi, cost $200 more than my rent in LA. Wow. (laughs) So I was like, oh, for one month, if I just Airbnb my place out, like get find someone to rent my place, then all I have to do is spend. I'm spending that money anyway. So now yeah. I spend $200 and I get a round trip to get to the Philippines. Amazing. So I went to my boss and I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and what he's was like, it? oh, you're leave- leaving the queue. Where are you, you going to go work? I'm like, no, I'm leaving the country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But my boss, Glenn, who... Yeah. Glenn's been on the show too, no?
0: No, or but I know Glenn very well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He... Glenn is a wonderful salesman. He's probably going to watch this. Or listen to this. Uh, he's a wonderful salesman uh-huh.
2: he's,
1: of anything he's ever done in his life. He's a very, very good salesman. And I gave him a chance. I quit. I didn't give him a two weeks notice. I gave him a 30 days notice. And in that 30 days, he convinced me to continue working, but from where I was going. Okay. Which is weird, usually if you wanna work remotely, you have to convince your boss to work remotely. <laughs>
0: sure, not the other way around.
1: Right. Yeah. But I was like, I really need like, I cannot be in LA anymore, <laughs> this, uh-huh. is, this is just wacko. Um, so what happened was, yeah, like, <laughs> to make a, a, an, another long story short, they agreed for me to work remotely, I liked it so much. I stayed another month. When I got back to LA, everything was different uh, with LA. You know, my perspective, not LA was different, my perspective on LA and the world. And I had come to LA with such like, not a lot of experience, but just a lot of perspective,
2: Mm. which
1: is different than experience. And being in LA, I got a lot of experience without much perspective finally put the two together and realized that like, yeah LA is not the like city for me uh at this particular time in my life this is not the kind of work I want to be doing um and so I worked like freelance for the queue for a few months a year ended up in Bali like a few months later Chiang Mai Thailand and started traveling and working like a month at a time I, I didn't do like it wasn't traveling trips. It wasn't like three days here, four days there. Like I got an apartment in a place and moved there for a month and then moved to the next place for a month.
0: And how did you like that? My fiance and I did um, a house swap. So we lived in Amsterdam for three weeks last year. Loved it, right? It was so fun to feel like a local and get to actually experience mm-hmm. a different culture. And you know, we did the touristy things. I'd been to Amsterdam a few times. It was her first time. So you know, we checked a few of those boxes, but more than anything, it was about like riding your bike to the grocery store and meeting local people and establishing new friendships and just like experience the culture at a slow pace rather than the frenetic pace that a tourist usually tries to take everything in.
1: Right. So I loved it. <laughs> I love it. I can't think of doing anything else anymore. Um, you get to, you get to see more of the world in a more different way um but also like whatever way you want like i don't i don't besmirch and i don't look down upon people who want to move every three days like if you if you go to certain places throughout like africa like you do not want to stay in a place for more than a week like it's you want to go sort of down a a, tra- a trail and take a bus down you know there's certain perspectives i seen like god one of the most interesting things and i don't know if i could ever do it is like you know fun for louis no youtuber Uh, he's a youtuber Hmm. he uh bought a cessna plane and then him and a buddy who was a pilot flew around the world wow Cessna, and what they were did you know it's like they just hopped around the world so like they constantly were traveling constantly going never in one place for more than like a night or two and i can't ever imagine (laughs) yeah even when I was on a cruise style ship.
0: of taking it slow and really yeah. absorbing a place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, even on a cruise ship, like maybe it's my cruise ship style just worked for me is like, I was on a ship for six months, but I had lunch in like di- a different country every day.
0: Yeah. Pretty basically. So how did you settle on Bali? Why is that now your, your current home,
1: current I- HQ? Um, it has the, the, um, like, the trifecta of good culture, good, easygoing culture, um, good enough Wi-Fi, (laughs) and enough area, like, it's big enough that it doesn't feel like I'm sitting on a beach all day. Um, like, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I, I went up and spent two days on a coffee farm. Like, coffee is only grown at altitude on like a mountainside in yeah. the tropics. Very hard to find, like, even though we have lots of coffee in the world, it's very hard to find that like Goldilocks zone, but Bali has it. Even though Bali, you think of like all the beaches and stuff, sure. it gets cold there. It's like a cold, like if you, if you're like sick of sweating all day, just go up to Kintamani and like, you can watch, look at a mountain. And,
0: like That's amazing. So yeah, you people think of Bali as kind of this premier Indonesian beach resort mm-hmm. town, but you found all these other dimensions to it, it seems like.
1: Yeah, like you can get lost in like a, if you're a diver, you can go off on a boat for two months, like a liveaboard. I have someone I met recently. Th- this is actually a weird like 28 days later kind of thing. I know, a, I met a guy, a Spanish guy who got off of a liveaboard for two months and was like, there's a pandemic. Uh-oh, wow. This was like in April uh-huh. or something. He's like, what's going on in the world?
0: <laughs> sure. Understandably like, so. If you, yeah, I was been like, I have isolated.
1: so much to tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, how has that impacted life there, right? How has COVID mm-hmm. impacted your businesses, you know, your lifestyle, Indonesia
1: in general? What does it look like? So, um... Okay, the the, the the main facts of it and, and the visceral effect of Bali itself and I can talk about Indonesia as well. Indonesia is as as bad as uh the US, I think, mm-hmm. in its handling. But Bali, eighty percent of the GDP of Bali is tourism. And that just no that doesn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you think like, okay, it's devastated. Like there are literally, I drive through cities here and they don't exist anymore, 100% closed down. They were, what 80% GDP means is not that like, that. that's an aggregate over the whole island. There's 4 million people that live here. That doesn't mean that, oh, their hotel is at 20% capacity. It means that the hotel is at 0% capacity. <laughs> Um across the whole entire island, actually I think it's four percent occupancy right now for hotels. Jeez. Uh we put a there was a list about five months ago that was put out. Okay. A year ago, I created a list of a thousand hotels and I did I created an influencers guide to Bali, which is not a travel guide to Bali, but for creators, people who want to come here and create content for their own audience. Here's the places to go, here's what to do, here's who to meet. Um, I reached out to thousand hotels. A hundred said yes. We work with influencers. In five months ago, there was a different list of here's all of the hotels that have closed, and there were more hotels that. It was easier to find a small list of those that are still open. Like wow. more hotels closed, just one hundred percent. Oh, geez, it's horrible. So, yeah, here like that, you think like okay people now are, are starving or are, are out on their ass, you know, and it's a horrible situation and it is. But the weird thing is in Bali, what that really means that 80% of the GDP came from tourism was like, that just shows you how different the amount of cash is that from outsiders, the you, you drive around now, people are alive, people are surviving because Bali has, again, like all of the, facets that you need to like survive and live it has pig farms chicken farms it has coffee farms it has uh, vegetables it has fruit it has its own industry here it's self-sustaining industry that obviously if you have tourists coming in and you need to pump that up but you have the money but now that you have that vacuum of tourism now you have real bali now you have like obviously people are still starving and people are having a hard time. They all go back to their homes, but it's like, it's, it doesn't fall as far because they have a sense of stability because you can, I mean, even in the best of times, you could get a meal for one or $2 us. Sure. And that didn't go away
0: yeah when did you want to start focusing on the influencer marketing space what was the original inspiration behind influence weekly Mm -hmm. how did you say i'm going to take this project and really build it out
1: yeah so when i was working at the queue um i i got so glenn my boss wasn't originally my boss he was working on an influencer project and needed help organizing it and i was the operations guy and i did everything in google sheets so he's like literally he's like hey I need a Google sheet from you. So I started working with him, making a Google sheet. And at that moment, I was an influencer. I was, I was doing deals with, like with my Twitter account. I had a YouTube channel that I did a deal with like Zipcar and stuff. Like I thought I knew influencer marketing from the influencer side. And now as an agency, we were doing deals, these very large deals on YouTube and something about the way that he did it felt wrong. Like I was like, is this really, this information flow is not correct. It feels almost exploitative. And so I did that for about a year and a half and I was just like, I need to know more. Like I need to understand this better. And so I started re- I started aggressively reading and seeking out uh, information about what are the best practices, finding out that, they're not written down. <laughs> There's no oral history. There's no history at all. This thing doesn't exist um but here are some benchmarks to 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 spoil alert uh what we were doing is a common practice and wasn't exploitative. It was actually funny enough. the way that Glenn does influencer marketing is oddly pre like the best way to do it hmm. <laughs> like I find out I found out over the last couple of years, like, oh, here's all these other ways to do influencer marketing that are inauthentic. They don't actually produce great any results, and like 90 percent of deals like are terrible. And what Glenn was doing and we were doing, actually was great. Like we were actually setting forth, if, if, if Glenn wanted to share more, I think he could have really pushed the industry into a different way of thinking about things and I I still consider what he did and what we were doing there really effective in great campaigns and really hard too that's influencer marketing is very hard
0: (laughs) yeah so how would you summarize the lessons learned what are the key takeaways for someone who's new to influencer marketing maybe a brand that wants to dip its toe into the water you know what are what are the best practices
1: okay so I told I told Glenn about this that like because I, I was like, oh, after two years, I finally, I, I realized, like, what you're doing is actually the correct thing, and he's like, oh, I hope you're not sharing, because I quit the queue, like, two years, yeah, almost two years ago, um, and he's like, I hope you're not sharing what we do, and I was like, Glenn, even if I told every single person on earth what you do and how you do it, they couldn't do it, like, they would just, not, it's not that it's hot, like, it's not that it's impossible or hard, it's like, it takes a, a a a dollop of creativity, a dollop of statistics, analysis, also domain knowledge, access to talent. Like you need all of that together to make it work correctly. And I guess the best practice for me that I learned, and I wish I could just share with everyone else, like do it this way and not any other way, is if you decide, you're deciding you're doing influencer marketing because other marketing Avenues are either tapped out, you're at your max there, the curve of your ROI is flattening. Like you just cannot optimize any more Facebook ads, or like those kinds of ads, whatever content marketing, any other ad marketing you're doing is probably diminishing returns. So you're looking at influencer marketing to do that, and you're like the typical way to do influencer marketing, at least for from discovery platforms, (laughs) paladin included, like is you look at okay I'm a travel brand I want to find all the travel influencers and you go like topic to topic in reality that perform, that performance of that is a local maximum and you're going to tap out you're you're going to hit you're going to hit a maximum when you find all of the travel influencers and you find the most optimized ones of those that's a local maximum it's a tiny little segment sure. what you really need to do and what glenn taught me was Go to your target, go to your audience, go to the the people, the consumers you want to look, use, not use, get to, that you want to buy your product, buy your service, use your thing. Just without preconceived notions, What? where do they consume content? Who yeah. do they look to? With, without preconceived, like, don't think of yourself as a travel brand. Think of yourself, I'm just doing, mar- you have to do the market research. And you say, okay, what what do they like? And then start forming patterns and find the formats. Find out what are the formats. Not Again, this is another weird thing. Everyone will be like, oh, look at the market research. Find out who influences them and go to them. I'm like, no, no, you got one more step. What you do is you find the kind of content that they like. Find the formats. And then, then you have to find the perfect trifecta match of your brand, someone who creates can create content in that format, that format, your brand, and that person. Hmm. And that personality is so important. And the way that they operate is so important. You really need to work with like professional people um, who understand their audience too. The brand knows their audience. The creator knows their audience. And then the creator and the brand come together in a creative campaign that neither could do alone the brand really needs to add value beyond just the payment. And I haven't and and the thing with even after two and a half years of researching this and seeing through Influence Weekly, the biggest opportunity in influencer marketing is the campaign. Building something and creating a campaign an advertising campaign that that spans across multiple formats, multiple creators and actually effectively promotes your product or service is still lacking. And I think that's the number one problem with influencer marketing, and, and, but it's a fixable problem, right? You find benchmarks, baselines, you find statistics, you find good people that have creative ideas that can execute them, put teams together. Like there's great solutions to this problem.
0: Yeah. Huh. What an interesting approach, right? Starting with, Okay, let's understand the audience. What types of content do they consume? And then let's build our influencer programs around that that incorporates the brand ethos.
1: Yeah, which is, that that's a lot of juggling parts. Like you have to get the right talent, right thing. And should it be hard? I think your thesis is it shouldn't be that hard. Like you should Uh have technology help you. And I agree with that. Um, I've covered a lot of technology and I think the technology itself at least some of the startups not paladin but like the startups i've seen mm-hmm. have no conception of what influencer marketing really is they think they're it's influencer discovery or or like what is it called uh i actually forgot the word but like like operations like oh you just oh, need to do Sure, thing project faster.
0: management campaign reporting yeah. right these are the the jobs, the tactical yeah. elements of what involves an influence campaign, but you're talking yeah. about take a step back, yes, there are these kind of components, but there's a broader strategic layer of thinking that informs how you approach influence marketing to begin with
1: yeah, yeah. and and agencies also like are doing it's it's easy to think to to tag a brand as like a topic and then find all those influencers in that topic and and then smush them together and see, like, what connections are there. Um, and I don't, I, I don't mean, it, like, badly, like, that, that still produces good work. It doesn't produce great work. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any great campaign. And also, unfortunately, and what campaigns are so few and far between shared um, for a variety of reasons, one reason being the brand doesn't want the agency talking about it Two, the agency doesn't know if the brand wants to do it. Um, the agency doesn't want to reveal their secrets, like industry secrets. Like I just told you that, that format. Again, sure. I can tell the entire world how to do that, what we did there, and they can't repeat it.
0: Yeah. So obviously, you know, there's all these different kind of stakeholders involved in influencer marketing. The space has changed fundamentally since I even got into it five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: What do you think is coming next? What does the future look like for influencer marketing? So first off, I actually don't agree that influencer marketing fundamentally changed. Hmm. Actually, I I've loved including examples of influencer marketing from predating the internet. Hmm. Um, And I think they're shining examples of what influencer marketing could be. Like if we go back to the roots of influence and how influencer marketing works. It's like partly content marketing, partly um, content, sorry, content, partly uh, experiential marketing. If we go back to pre-internet, I think we have a really good roadmap to what influencer marketing could be.
0: Yeah. Do you have any good examples?
1: Oh my God, my favorite. So there's two great stories that predate the internet. One is, um, do you, <laughs> You don't smoke. <laughs> no. But you, you remember Camel cigarettes. Sure. Um so Camel cigarettes was trying to get this audience that like a a a cigarette brand knows their audience it's like something like I don't know 30 to 45 year olds old. Um the guy who was in charge of their marketing and wanted to do like a new campaign was in New York City and he saw that like every bartender in New York city had a pack of cigarettes that they gave for free to their, um, customers. So what he did for the marketing campaign was he just got camel cigarettes and bought packs of cigarettes for bartenders in New York city, just gave them for free to these bartenders. And so suddenly like overnight, every New York drinker who's in a bar is smoking a camel cigarette Hmm. and camel cigarettes. Like when, on and did great business like it it worked phenomenally like it suddenly was in the ethos of the world like people knew wanted camel cigarettes yeah and i was like that's a great influencer campaign like identifying exactly where did your patron experience your product put it into their hands give it give it to someone who's going to put it into their hands um without social media without you know this idea of impressions like how do you measure how many impressions it's like no you can measure how many cigarettes people smoke
0: that's right yeah
1: and then the other example is from uh, madam cj walker who was the america's first female black millionaire Hmm. i think there's a show or documentary about her but the simple story is she owned and made this hair care product. This was like in the 1920s. And in order to get her hair product used in salons, like people go to a salon to get their hair done, they don't, the consumer doesn't know what, pro, what product they're using. Sure. So who does is the salon owner or the person who's making the hair, doing the styling the hair. So what she did is she created a school and taught like 20,000 women how to do hair. And it was like a certified course to become a hairstylist. And so you could own your own shop and do your own hairstyling, but using this product. And now this person who learned how to style hair from day zero used this Mm -hmm. product.
0: Yeah, built a habit. Yeah, familiar. Yeah.
1: But it's also like you're using the product for the customer and the customer's like, "Oh, I've never had my hair done this well. What's that product?" Yep. Oh, yeah, you this is the product I use. I only use this product. And that's how you got she got became a millionaire. was like she yes. one, she empowered people to use the product, showed them how to use it. Two, she created businesses for other people, empowered other businesses. So now now there's like 20,000 hair salons around the country that are businesses in themselves, creating a livelihood for people. And like that's influencer marketing that's brand advocacy that's brand ambassadorship like we see that all the time i don't know if you have like um you see that in like google certificates and like hubspot certification like you see that now digitally a lot
0: yeah the internet hasn't changed it necessarily it's just you know given rise to new ways to reach audience and uh give these potential influencers a platform that's cool yeah and so,
1: influencer marketing is And I think my biggest thesis I found from these examples is that like influencer marketing is very different than influencers. Hmm. Those are two very separate things.
0: And what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate?
1: Yeah. um, Influencers are people who have a large, some type of audience, some specific audience online. Influencer marketing is the actual campaign and creative, uh, not justification, but creative work that goes into figuring out what and who influences your pr- customer, which it doesn't have to be an online creator with a social media following in order to, in, that, per- that might not be an influencer for your marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a good distinction. So what's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the influencer space or media and entertainment more
1: broadly, what do you foresee? I wish, I, what what do I foresee happening or what do I wish is happening or two separate things, I guess. Sure. Um, a year ago, pre-COVID, I thought that there would be an incredibly large amount of new agencies doing incredibly diverse work. Like you would get um i forgot the term but it not niche down but like we get get really specific verticals of influencer marketing like influencer marketing for travel influence there's like black girl digital it's like i know what they do (laughs) like they're not it's not a weird name a, a conglomerate that we do everything we handle all influencer marketing it's like no no here's influencer marketing for gay travel here's influencer marketing for uh for sports, for athletes, for this. Um, And I saw that happening over the last year, but unfortunately, you know, earlier this year, just a lot of those smaller companies just don't exist anymore.
0: And do you think that's a result of COVID and the broader macroeconomic climate being more difficult for small businesses to operate? Or do you think it was just a problem with the business model that being too specialized didn't allow you to serve a broad enough base of customers? Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah. uh, I think it was because of COVID that just, if you have only three clients and they all, and all three of them don't have any budget to spend, you don't have a business, you don't have a job. Whereas the same thing happened at multinational corporations where like, Oh, 33% of our clients have now gone to nothing. They don't exist anymore. And so, you know, 33% of our staff have to be laid off, you know, I think that's exactly the same situation as a small company who's like a freelancer. Who's like, I have no overhead. I have no office. So I just make a hundred percent of my income from these three clients. Oh, a hundred percent of my income is gone or get laid off from a company. Cause you were in the, you know, experimental part of their labor force. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Uh,
1: but maybe this is just me thinking like a wishful thinking, but i also think that a, and covid without covid or with covid whatever in re, looking back at recession times um a normal human being just has to survive through a recession and then will will come up uh i think influencer marketing is poised at this very existential point right now where we could actually see in the next five to 10 years that influencer marketing doesn't exist anymore, but that's a good thing. or And that's a good thing because influencer marketing is a really excellent multiplier of every single part of the marketing funnel. And in fact, if you include also the marketing hourglass and you say, okay, there's brand awareness, there's purchase intent, and then there's sales, which is the marketing funnel.
2: Mm-hmm. But if
1: you go, okay, there's also, Loyalty programs, brand ambassadorship, brand advocacy. Uh, There's a lot of marketing done. Beneath the surface after the transaction has occurred. Yeah. And influencer marketing actually is a really amazing tactic that amplifies every single part of that entire hourglass, which begs, I don't know, begs the question, or, or, or precipitates the next idea of, well, then it's not it's not actually a marketing strategy. It It's a tactic that you can apply to any other strategy and amplify it. Like we, we were, we've done campaigns where we only did a social halo and that was quote unquote influencer marketing. It was like, Oh yeah, there's this piece of content that's created that the company is, has their owned and they have an earned, uh, they have a owned and paid component and the earned is the influencer marketing. But, they're paying for that so is that earned or owned or paid like they own this like a trailer release that's what we did Hmm. we did a trailer release so that's an owned piece of content they're paying for the influencers who are essentially saying i like this i like this film because i'm connected to it thematically okay that sounds like earned that sounds like pr it's everything So a CMO has a really tough time determining what is and what isn't influencer marketing, which is really good for influencer marketing if it amplifies every single thing. Like, you should do that more and more. You should be applying more and more of your budget to it if it works. Yeah,
0: and you shouldn't think of it as just a silo, right, where it's like, okay, here's our digital spin, print spin out of home, right, influencers over here, or maybe it's a subsection of you have digital and then underneath that you have social and underneath that you have influencer Mm -hmm. influencer permeates. It's, it's a, it's a strategic approach, not one tactic to employ budget against. It should be applied throughout the whole consumer Mm -hmm. journey as you're, as you're explaining, and it should be a part of everything else that you're doing.
1: Yeah. And then now suddenly like there is, then suddenly there's no industry that's called influencer marketing, which sounds bad. Like sounds, Oh, awful. Like, We have no industry. No, but you are pervasive across everything. It's just Um, marketing,
0: period. (laughs) (laughs) So, Andrew, one of my favorite questions to ask everyone who comes on the show, and you're going to have such a unique answer to this, because you strike me as this just classically entrepreneurial person where it's like you can't help but, you know, start the film festival in college. You can't help but, you know, find your way into producing an English uh, talk show in Mongolia. Um, you can't help but you know create vine videos for people in LA like your brain just constantly thinks about hey What can I how can I solve this problem? How can I commercialize this idea build a business around it? You know if you were starting something brand new in the digital media space today, what would you do?
1: That's, that's a, actually a really tough question because I could list you a hundred things to do.
0: I'm sure <laughs> What's one of those ideas that just keeps nagging at you that, you know, you keep beating up and saying, Hey, is there something here? What's one of those ideas that just keeps calling to you?
1: Um, So, I mean, the one idea that didn't work for me, but I'm sure could work for someone else um, is, well, actually sort of you're, you're doing (laughs) a lot of people are trying to do this is um, basically analysis on demand. Like, what works and what doesn't. I, I was working as like a growth hacker for like a social media growth hacker for like five years and working with creators and influencers who are like, how do I grow? The question is how do I grow? Well, a hundred percent of creators have that question and there's no one answer. So how do you figure out how do you like how do you determine priority? How do you determine what works? If you ask any big creator, content creator right now, ask them a question. How did you grow? Number one answer, and the only answer they'll give is they made content. I created. Mm -hmm. Creators create. That is it. And that's such a youthful, spry, uh, also calamitous answer because then you start talking about, well, you just got lucky because you got this viral like kombucha girl just got lucky that she was a meme
0: well yeah, or that or people say oh but what you did 5 years ago won't work for me today because the, yeah. in the industry moves so quickly yeah
1: and so like i i had to like literally it was my job for a while to figure out how many levers what are the levers you can pull for growth how can you apply how hard should you pull them and that abstraction layer i think could still be Figured out, uh, I think there's a lot of ways people are doing it. Um, the agency model seems to be the only way people start. That's how I did it and then the moment I got away from the agency model and started doing a web app, it all fell apart because you need like that you need that person that you trust to like we see this all the time actually in Hollywood and now in influencer marketing and in online digital video is with managers, right like a manager takes 20% it it sounds awful they take 20% of everything you make well they also got you like five x the number of deals like your deal flow magically started coming in but you didn't see that because all you saw was the extra one deal you did um so yeah like there's an abstraction layer around creators and influencers that I think is still yet to be fully worked out upon it's like Mm is actually this is a good example kombucha girl is now repped by someone but like should she be like i mean that in a good way like should she have had like a technology some technology that could have helped her figure out if this is what she wanted to do she fell in i don't know if you know her story but she got me she became a meme and then she was a banker and she it's a great youtube video actually i think from buzzfeed she was the banker and essentially her boss was like are you gonna be this person like that i see in this meme and she's like no i, I that's not me S- somebody else put that like had she had to like explain what a meme is to her boss and then a week later they're like you can't work here anymore and she lost her job wow,
0: geez that's horrible <laughs> and so she it was said, like an oh, awesome- I guess i'm just gonna lean into it then huh and-
1: yeah. And she's like in LA now, like as a, <laughs> as a manager.
0: Amazing. She's like, this is
1: the only thing I can do. Well, good so for you her. ask her. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that good? Like she had a banker job. She was like set for life.
0: Sure. Well, I'm saying the way that she reacted <laughs> to, you know, the adversity of losing her yeah. job for something that wasn't her fault out of her control. And, and she made, you know, lemonade out yeah. of lemons. So good for her. Um, but in any event, uh, Andrew, this has been awesome. Okay. You have been so generous with your time. Where can people find out more about you,
1: more about Influence Weekly, and all the amazing projects that you're involved with? Yeah, influenceweekly.co. Uh, find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I I know all of the other people that have my last name, so you won't find another Andrew Camphy. <laughs> you, go- you can Google me. I Google myself often.
0: So... <laughs> So he's out there. Come find yeah. him. Track him down. Or if you're in Bali, come pay him a visit because Bali needs the tourism right now.
1: <laughs> Actually. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a bad thing to say now. I don't know. Everything changes so often right now, yeah. but like Kelly Slater was here. There you go. He was surfing. Like somehow Kelly Slater got to Bali and is surfing. Amazing. There.
0: Yeah. Well, Andrew, this, this was awesome. Like I said, we've known each other for a number of years, but it's always great yeah. when I get to sit down with someone and peel back the layers. And your story just gives me wanderlust of wanting to travel to all these <laughs> incredible places that you've been to, you know, uh, just saying yes and leaning into these awesome experiences yeah. and then starting businesses and seeing where they're going to go. I, I love it. And I love your commitment and passion to the influencer space. For a long time, <laughs> you've been one of those people who just like surfaces, great resources. And I always learn something, you know, every mm-hmm. time, you know, I read the newsletter and, and you know, get a chance to connect with you. So Thanks again for, for
1: sharing your story. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.